0: I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek and good morning we welcome you to gospel dynamite a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints gospel dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road Seagrove North Carolina I to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to Judges chapter 6. We're actually going to be referencing verses 11 through 24 for sake of time. We're only going to be able to read verses 19 through 24. Today we look at the call of Gideon, Judges 6, verses 19 through 24. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of ephah of flour, and the flesh... He put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in the Orpherah of the Bezerites. The call of Gideon. Over the next few weeks, we want to be introduced to a remarkable judge by the name of Gideon. Now, Gideon is a study of contrast. On the one hand, he was a man who led a handful of warriors against a far larger army, and he won a great victory. But on the other hand, Gideon was filled with doubts, fears, and questions. He was a man who questioned God's plan, yet he did God's will. Gideon was called to be a judge during a time of intense trouble in Israel, and the nation was suffering under the grip of the Midianite oppression. Now they watched helplessly as their land was stripped, their homes and villages were plundered and destroyed, and their lives endangered. Their condition can be summed up in verse six, where the Bible says that they were impoverished. This word literally means that they were at the end of their rope. The people of Israel felt as though their nation was destroyed and that their lives were over. Now, Israel's main problem was that they counted God out of the situation. They cried out to him, but they probably did not believe that he was listening or that he was able to do anything to help them. But God was always there, and God always has a message. And in verses seven through 10, God sent his prophet to remind them of the Lord's grace in their lives and to call them to a place of repentance. Now, not only does God always have a message, but he always has a man as well. In the passage before us, We're going to meet a man that God chose to save Israel. We'll meet a man called Gideon, and his name means he who cuts down. While Gideon doesn't look like he has much to offer at the time, he was called in the end he would become the one who would be responsible for cutting down the enemies of God's people. So let's take some time today as we see Gideon, and I hope that we'll see a little bit of all of us in Gideon, because in verse 11, we see Gideon's circumstances. This verse reveals even more on the conditions in Israel at that time. We know that it had become a time of poverty. We know that Israel did not have a lot during these dark, desperate days. In fact, verses 4 through 6 make that abundantly clear. Evidently, Gideon and his family had been able to hide away a small amount of wheat, and he was threshing that wheat behind a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, wheat was usually laid out on a special piece of ground prepared just for that purpose. The ground was very hard, usually circular in shape, and the threshing floors were located on top of hills where they would be uh, accessible to the most wind. The grain would be poured out on the ground, an oxen pulling a threshing sled called a nure, that would walk over the grain. Now, it consisted of three stone rollers embedded with pieces of iron that would break and cut the grain. And after this process, which broke the hard shell around the kernel, men would take those winnowing fans and toss the grain in the air. And the lighter husk would be blown away by the wind, the heavier grain would fall back down through the earth. Now, the fact that Gideon is threshing grain by hand indicates that he had very little grain to work with. It was a time of poverty. It was also a time of persecution. Gideon was hiding while he threshed because he knew the Midianites would take the small amount of grain that he had if they found him, if they knew about him. Now Gideon and his people were suffering under the lash of intense persecution Which brings me to my next point. It was a time of powerlessness. Now that scene in the fact that Gideon is hiding from the enemy, he is just as defeated and just as frightened as the rest of the nation. And it was a difficult time for God's people. I want to encourage you today. Like Israel, we're living in difficult times. We're living in days when economic uncertainty has many people fearing that they're going to be forced into poverty. We're living in a day when the government and the society in general are growing increasingly hostile to the things of God. We have sitting members of Congress that has called for our destruction and our death. We have members of our society that want to take your children away from you. Listen to me. You need to pay attention to me. You need to be paying attention to the news. You need to be paying attention to your surroundings. There are people out there who want your destruction because you name the name of Christ and because you want to rear your family in the ways of God. Nearly a month ago, Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law in California that if anyone across the U.S. suspects that a parent is hindering their child from living out their true gender identity, they can take that child, yes, you heard me right, kidnap that child or children, take them to California, have a sex transitional surgery paid for by the state, and they do not have to be returned to the parent. The state becomes the sole owner of those children. They, the parents, cannot pursue them in accordance to California state law. California is now a child transgender sanctuary. This, my friend, is not all right. This cannot be given a blind eye to. This will spread to other democratic and leftist states. This, my friend, is an attempt by Satan himself to destroy not only the nuclear, family, but he is trying to destroy children who are made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. There is a war on children in this country, and you need to wake up. It has never been more important than it is now to get our rear ends up and get ourselves to the polls this November. Jesus said, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea. Jesus Christ himself said it would be better for you to drown in the sea than to harm a child. It was Sunday morning in 1776, and the church where Pastor Muhlenberg preached, Peter Muhlenberg. It was a regular service for his congregation, but it was a quite different affair from Muhlenberg himself. Muhlenberg's text for the day was Ecclesiastes 3, where it explains to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plan and a time to pluck what is planted. And coming to the end of his message, Peter Muhlenberg turned to his congregation and said, in the language of the Holy Writ, there was a time for all things, a time to preach, a time to pray. But those times have passed. And as those assembled looked on, Pastor Muhlenberg declared, there is a time to fight, and that time is now. Muhlenberg then proceeded to remove his robes, revealing to the shock of his congregation a military uniform. Marching to the back of the church, he declared, Who among you is with me? On that day, 300 men from his church stood up and joined Peter Muhlenberg. They eventually became the 8th Virginia Brigade, fighting for liberty. Frederick Muhlenberg, Peter's brother, was against Peter's level of involvement in the war. Peter responded to Frederick by writing this, I am a clergyman, it is true. But I am a member of the society as well as the poorest layman, and my liberty is as dear to me as any man. Shall I then sit still and enjoy myself at home when the best blood of the covenant is spilling? So far am I from thinking that act is wrong. I am convinced it is my duty to do so, and duly I owe to God and my country. What's the need of the hour? God, give us some Gideons. God, give us some Gideons. God, give us some Daniels. God, give us some Peter Muhlenbergs. We're living in a day where it seems like there's little spiritual power among God's people. In some ways, we're living through times that strongly resemble those that Gideon and Israel faced in their day. Verse 12, we see Gideon's commission. While Gideon was hiding from the enemy, the Lord knew exactly where Gideon was. The verse says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. That was no ordinary angel. In verse 13, the angel is called Lord. When the Lord speaks to Gideon, he comes with words of hope and assurance we see the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, and he says, the Lord is with thee. Now, what we have here is what's called in theology as a theophany. It's an appearance of God in a visible form to man. Literally, what you have here is a Christophany. This is one of the many occasions in the Old Testament where Jesus appeared to individuals before he was born in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I'll give you a brief list of some of those in the Old Testament appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, he appeared to Adam in Eden. In Genesis 18, he appeared to Abraham at his tent door. In Genesis 16, he appeared to Hagar in the wilderness. In Genesis 32, he appeared to Jacob at the river Jabok. In Exodus chapter 3, he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. In Numbers chapter 22, he appeared to Balaam. In Joshua chapter 5, he appeared to uh, Joshua at Jericho. In Judges 13, he appears to the parents of Samson. The Midianites did not know where Gideon was was hiding, but the Lord did. He had his eye on Gideon the entire time. And when Gideon was unaware of it, God was with him and watching him, and he was planning his future. Uh, the truth should, that truth should comfort our hearts and have the, because we have the same promise. The Bible says that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He never changes. We have even a better promise as that. And in Joshua, uh, John chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. Friend, the Lord is with you in every situation, through every valley, across every mountain. By the way, when the Lord says the Lord is with you, it, it literally means his power is on you. Gideon could not see it, nor could he sense it, and it sure didn't look like it, but he was about to be used by God in a powerful way. The same is true in our lives. If we ever grasp the truth that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God and that his limitless power is available to us, it would change our walk and change our lives. But Then the Lord says something that's truly amazing. He looks at Gideon, and he calls him a mighty man of valor. Here's a man who's so afraid of the enemy that he's hiding behind a wine press threshing wheat. He is full of fear, but the Lord saw what Gideon would be when he got finished with it. God intended to take Gideon and use him in a great way. The phrase the Lord used literally refers to a man who is charging right into the face of the enemy. Friends, it doesn't make sense, but that is who the Lord saw when he looked at Gideon. Now, did you know that the Lord knows you as well? He knows you far better than you even know yourself. The Bible says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. And if you're like me, you often look at your life and you see mistakes, you see failures, you see problems. You see a person who consistently fails to live up to God's high calling on your life. You see a person who loses far more than he wins. You see a person who, from all appearances, is always coming up short. Well, what does God see? When Jesse looked at David, he saw his youngest son. He saw a mere boy who was not worthy to be called to a family meeting with Samuel. When God looked at David, he saw a king. When Gideon's family looked at him, he saw a weakling. But when the Lord looked at him, God saw a warrior. You see, the Lord looks at the heart for Samuel 16 and verse 7, and he knows what will be when he gets finished with us. The best thing you and I can ever do in our lives with all of its problems, its failures, and our shortcomings is place all of that in the hand of God. He is able to take us like we are, transform us into something powerful and amazing by his power. And verses 13 through 16, I want you to see Gideon's confusion. When Gideon hears the words of the Lord, he is amazed by what he hears. He cannot see how the Lord can possibly be talking to him. So he reacts to what the Lord says by questioning the Lord's words. He questions, first of all, in verse 13, God's presence. Gideon wants to know where the proof of God's presence can be found. If God was really with his people, shouldn't they be experiencing victory instead of defeat? Also in verse 13, he questions God's performance. Gideon wants to know where all the miracles have gone. It had been 250 years since God delivered Israel from Egypt through those devastating plagues. It had been 200 years since Jordan parted and Israel crossed over on dry ground into the promised land. Gideon wants to know where God, who performed all those miracles, has gone. Verses 14 and 15, he questions God's perception. When the Lord hears Gideon's questions, he responds by telling him that he will indeed save Israel. God has sent him, and he will be successful in his quest to defeat the enemies of Israel. Now Gideon's response is to question the Lord's omniscience. He tells the Lord that he can't be right. He tells the Lord that he can't be a deliverer because his father's house is poor. Thus no one will follow him. Secondly, he says no one in his father's house respects him. We will learn a future message about Gideon's father, Uh, who was an idolater. We see that in verse 25. We'll deal with that in the future. But it may be that Gideon was an outcast within his own family because he refused to worship their false gods with them. Now, a lot of us are just like Gideon. We know the Lord wants us to serve him. We might even understand that he wants us to be used for his glory. But we're so full of fear and a sense of our own inability that we refuse to trust him. Gideon did exactly what Moses did when the Lord called him from the burning bush. Both men came up with excuses as to why they could not do what the Lord said they could do. Both men felt like the job was over their heads. Both felt like they were inadequate to the task at hand. We do the same things. The real problem with both Gideon and Moses and with us all is that we tend to focus on what we are and not who he is. Without the Lord, we're weak, we're frail failures. With him, we are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, we need to learn to be God conscious. I know that I can do nothing by myself. The scripture says that. Jesus says that without me, you can do nothing. But I must believe that he can use me. And if I come to the place where I understand that he is able, even if I am not able, then I can be used of God. Gideon is not there yet, so he makes excuses for why he can't do what the Lord is calling him to do. Now Gideon's excuses are twofold. He tells the Lord that he did not have the fortune, he did not have the fame. He tells him that he cannot afford to do the Lord's work, and he tells him that nobody knows him. Can I say this? God specializes in using those who cannot accomplish his work in the world. We see that in First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. And God includes much evidence in the Scripture. He used Abraham, who was a pagan from Ur of Chaldeans, to be the father of the faithful. He used Jacob, a liar, to be the father of the nation of Israel. He used Joseph, who was a slave, to save the world. He used Moses, a shepherd and a murderer, to to deliver his people. He used Jephthah, the the, uh, son of a prostitute, to deliver Israel. He used an unnamed servant girl to tell Naaman about God. He used Esther, a slave, to deliver Israel. He used Matthew, a tax collector, to write about Jesus, the king of the Jews. He used Saul of Tarsus to write over one half of the New Testament. And when Israel was crying out for a deliverer in verse 7, God's answer was a Gideon. God used all these people and countless others down through the years because they were available to him for his use. I also show you in verses 16 through 24, Gideon's confirmation. In verse 16, the Lord reaffirms his call of Gideon, and he tells him that he will be able to destroy the Midianites as if they were just a single man. Now, in other words, the Lord is going to use Gideon in a wonderful, a powerful, an amazing fashion. All he has to do is go with God. Gideon is still not ready to simply follow the Lord. He wants some proof that it is really God who is talking with him. So Gideon asked for a sign. Now, this will not be the last time he does this. And thank God we serve a patient Lord. Gideon should have just done what the Lord told him to do. Of course, so should we. And God graciously gave Gideon the sign he requested. In verses 18 through 21, he's confirmed by a presentation Gideon wants to make an offering to the Lord, which is what the word present means. So the Lord promises to wait until Gideon returns. He prepares a goat, cakes made from 35 pounds of flour and a pot of broth. That was a sacrificial offering from a man whose family lived in poverty. It's amazing to see this transformation in Gideon because when the angel of the Lord found him, he was hiding, trying to protect a small amount of grain. Now he willingly gives it away as a huge meal. Gideon has at least reached a place where he's willing to yield the things he cherishes. And when Gideon presents his offering, he is instructed to place it on a rock. He does so. And when he does that, the Lord touches the offering with the edge of his stab. And when he does, fire rises out of the rock. It consumes the sacrifice. In receiving the sacrifice as he did, the Lord was teaching Gideon that everything was going to be fine. Everything was going to be all right. Now, the Lord used the staff to work this miracle, and the staff was an instrument used by a shepherd. His staff was to use to control and comfort and protect and lead the sheep. God is telling Gideon that he will be with him to comfort, control, protect, lead him as well. It was a way of teaching Gideon that he need not fear where the Lord would send him. For where God guides, he provides. This was a sign. That the Lord had accepted Gideon, and God had come to Gideon, called him, commissioned him, and accepted his sacrifice. All of this was the Lord's way of telling him that he was going to use him in a great way. If you want to be used of God, present yourself to him, and he will use you. His will is that He make we make an offering like Gideon did, and God is not interested in our goats, our cakes, and our broth. God is interested in us. The Bible says that he desires, he wants us to yield ourselves totally to his will. And when we do that, he will use us in ways we can only imagine. Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Those verses teach us that by completely yielding ourselves to God, we're able to recognize his will, which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, the will of the Lord for our lives is as simple as yielding our lives to the Lord. When we give up everything we have to him that we have and all that we are, and we walk with him, he guides us into his perfect will day by day just like a shepherd leads his sheep. Verses 22 through 24, he is confirmed by promise. Gideon now recognizes just who he is dealing with, and when he does, he's filled with fear, and he cries out to the Lord, and God responds by speaking peace to Gideon's heart. He promises Gideon that he will not die Gideon then builds an altar and worships the Lord, and he calls that altar Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is our peace. Gideon found peace in submission and worship, and when he submitted to the Lord's will for his life, and when he fell before the Lord, he humbly worshiped God, and Gideon found a place of comfort. My friend, that still works today. If you want turmoil in your soul, just walk a different path than the one God has planned for your life. If you want sleepless nights and dreary days, just refuse to do what he wants you to do. But if you want peace, joy, and true happiness, you'll only find it in surrounding your life to the will of God. Until you do that, until you do what God wants you to do, you'll never know true peace. You'll never experience genuine worship. And you might as well do what he's telling you to do because it isn't going to change his mind. Just looking from the outside it doesn't look like Gideon will amount to much in the Lord's work. He's fearful. He's timid. He's filled with self-doubt. He has more questions than he has answers. And Gideon is being brought to a place of service. But the Lord is willing to take Gideon just as he is. He's willing to shape him into what he wants him to be. And as we see him over the next few weeks, that's just what the Lord will do. What about you? Are you doing what God wants you to do? It's voting season. Your vote, Christian, belongs to God. The Bible says whatsoever you do in word or deed, do for his glory, to bring glory to his name. Your vote, my friend, belongs to God. When you go to vote, you pray outside the booth, you speak with God. When you go inside the booth to vote, you speak for God. You speak in that vote according to how he wants you to vote. My friend, these are crucial days. Exercise every gift that God has given you.